We will draw near. A Good Omens story written for the Good Omens Big Bang, 2019, by Rong Soon, and read by B.I.P. Crowley, Crowley, get up! He didn't bother to open his eyes and simply waved his arm vaguely, batting at the annoying noise. Shut up. Five more minutes. You need to get up now. I wanna. A strong hand seized his jaw, short nails digging into his cheeks, not aggressive but implacable. Open your eyes. Look at me. For goodness sake, Crowley, get up. The demon opened his eyes and blinked them rapidly as his pupils constricted against the harsh bright light. Slowly a face swam into view and he grimaced as he tried to focus and bring three separate wavering images together into one. The face hovering over his was one he knew as well as his own, perhaps even better. It was limbed with sunlight and a halo of unruly blonde hair, and its blue eyes were full of fear, the pale skin streaked with dirt and blood. Angel? Crowley murmured, blearily. Praise be your conscious. Xerophel gasped, releasing his grip on his jaw and latching his hand around the demon's arm, tugging insistently. Come on, you've got to get up. We have to go. He wanted to ask, what, where, why? But Crowley sensed through a muzzy haze that now was not the time to be asking questions. He managed to get his other arm to obey him and tried to push himself into a sitting position. Instead, a shock of pain sent him collapsing back with a gasp. He raised his head to look down at his own prone body and lifted a trembling hand to gingerly touch the place in his stomach where the pain had been centered, where red was oozing out in an ominous flow and soaking into his shirt. There's a hole in me, he croaked. Someone's put a great bloody hole in me. Yes, yes, and that's why we have to go. Aziraphale was dragging on his arm, trying to haul him to his feet. Right, right, okay. Crowley's head spun and the world tilted sickeningly around him as he shoved himself upright. Aziraphale slung one of Crowley's arms over his shoulder and half carried, half dragged him as the demon snarled with pain. Crowley closed his eyes, almost immediately stumbled, and forced his gummy eyes open again. He shook his head irritably, but that only made the universe swing wildly around him, and he swallowed dryly against the nausea. Come on, come on! The jeep's just ahead! Aziraphale's voice was harsh. It's not a jeep, it's a land rover. Now is not the time to be pedantic, Aziraphale snapped. Crowley's eyes slid shut again and his knees buckled, almost pulling the angel off his feet. Not now! Not now! Xerophel shook him roughly. Get up! Shant, let me sleep. Crowley, if you don't get up right this minute, I shall... I shall leave you here. No, you won't. Well, no, you're right, I won't, but please... There was definite panic in the angel's voice, high-pitched and strained. Crowley grimaced. I'm tired. No, you're not. You are dying, and you're going to finish dying unless you pull yourself together and get us out of here. There was a distant rumble, a heavy percussive thump, and the ground trembled beneath the demon's knees. Pull yourself together, he says, as if it's that simple. Crowley gritted his teeth. Right. He'd been on Earth in this body for centuries. He knew how it worked, knew its quirks and foibles. 
At that moment, his tongue was like a lump of leather. His heart was pounding, lungs heaving in shallow gasps. He was exhausted and confused. Blood loss. He was dehydrated, and the air around him was arid and hot, so not much moisture to be had there. What he needed was adrenaline. His mind drifted back to a club in Manchester in 1970-something, when he had been slumped against the bar, scowling at the idiots around him, and an acquaintance had stumbled over to him with a plastic bag full of powder. Come on, mate, this'll cheer you up. Party all night. Come on. He had snorted two lines that left his eyes watering and his mouth dry, danced himself into a haze of perspiration, and then purged his system and left the club at ten the next morning. It amazed him that humans would put such ridiculous concoctions into their bodies with so little regard to the consequences. Simple molecular change that would addle their brains and at best make them forget how shit their lives really were, or at worst, leave them drooling and mumbling in a corner until their hearts gave out. Stupid, but perhaps useful right now. He tried to remember through a torpid fog what the damn stuff was called. Whiz, Billy... Benny, base, amphetamines, the stuff they gave to World War II pilots and 50s housewives. Hell, he could remember when they used to sell inhalers of the stuff from the duty-free card on long-distance flights. He dredged the depths of his mind as Aziraphale all but carried him to the open-top vehicle that was waiting at the end of the dusty track, and the ground shuddered under their feet again. Surely he could make something out of thin air that'd do the same job. He'd stuff fun stars from nothing, for fuck's sake. And he's in charge of this stupid body, whether it likes it or not. C9H13N. He sucked the molecules from the air and shunted them into his brain, feeling the neurons spark and flare. His vision sharpened and the fog cleared from his mind. Okay. Okay, he breathed. I've got this. I'm okay. Come on, you've got to drive. Heaven forgive me the day I actually ask you to do this, but Aziraphale shoved him into the driver's seat. Step on it. Curly ignored the key, and the engine roared into life at a thought as the angel swung himself into the passenger seat. The moment his arse hit the leather, Curly jammed his foot onto the pedal and into what remained of the carpet, and the car lurched forward, kicking up a cloud of dust. Behind them, there was another tremendous thump, and the pebbles leapt off the track as the tires slipped and slithered over sand and dirt and sand again. Crowley's knuckles were white as he gripped the wheel and ground his teeth, and Aziraphale grabbed what Crowley insisted on calling the oh-shit handle and tried to remain in the vehicle as it bounced and skidded through potholes and over the rough track. What the fuck? Crowley snarled through gritted teeth. What the fuck? The four. I think you'll find this an interesting experience. Aziraphale grimaces as the Land Rover bounces through another pothole. Yeah. Interesting. Crowley growls, one hand on the wheel, the other hanging languid from the open window. You know what's interesting? The Autobot. Tarmac, Angel. Not this. He flicks the wheel to steer them around a particularly large hole, tires squealing in protest. This shit pit... Road's got more craters than a teenager's face. Aziraphale's own face is ashen, and he's clinging to the handle mounted on the doorframe for dear life. He has long since discovered that the seatbelt is purely ornamental and discarded it. The man who sold them the car, Aziraphale had insisted on paying, and Crowley had then insisted on haggling, 
and promised them that it was more than capable of transporting them to their destination and, and back again, although whether it would be fit for anything after that was doubtful. It's an ancient, open-top Land Rover, which Aziraphale had innocently described as topless, making Crowley cackle. There's a hole in the windscreen surrounded by a spiderweb of cracks and an ominous rust-brown stain on the driver's seat which the dealer had assured them was spilt coffee. Curly had grinned, all teeth and no smile, as he ran his hands knowingly over the car and reeled off a list of everything that was faulty, broken, or in need of imminent replacement, or just plain shabby. The dealer had mopped his brow with his sleeve and eventually settled on a price a third of his original. Aziraphale had paid, and Curly had bullied the Land Rover into gear, and they had slewed out of the lot in a shower of gravel. Now they are bouncing down a rough track on their way to their respective assignments. Well, if you'd rather be elsewhere, I'm sure I could have hired a taxi, Aziraphale snips, feet braced in the footwell. No, I had to come, didn't I? Same place, same time, big deal these days. Curly takes his hand off the wheel to shove his sunglasses up his nose. Wouldn't want to miss out on the fun. Yes, well, they hit another tooth-loosening bump. I'm sure I could have arranged something. His tone is pointed. Crowley swings his head carelessly toward the angel. Seems to me, he twitches the wheel again, that this one is a bit too complex. Yes, there is rather a lot of toing and froing between the relative factions. Could put it like that. Crowley turns his eyes back to the track. So which side are your lot on? I beg your pardon. Aziraphale looks at him with offended astonishment. Curly shrugs. Look, there's four ways to look at this lot, okay? He glances at the angel to check he has his attention. So, number one, they're a totalitarian dictatorship looking to crush any dissenting voices. That would be bad. Aziraphale winces as they jetter over another series of holes. Alternatively, Curly twists the wheel between his fingers. They are a strong and stable leadership looking to ensure lasting peace in their country by snuffing out the rebels. Which would be good. Xerophil's hair is caked with dust and he winces as the tires slip again in the loose dirt road. Or, Crowley flicks his gaze back to the angel. They are a group of dedicated and brave freedom fighters determined to liberate their fellow citizens from the brutal tyranny of a harsh dictatorship. Which is also good. Zerafel tries futilely to wipe the dirt from his face with a handkerchief. However, Crowley is grinning. Perhaps they're a dastardly bunch of terrorists whose only thought is to sow discord and spread chaos in the name of freedom. That, that would be bad. Zerafel's brow creases in consternation. So, what side are they on? Curly graces the angel with a toothy smile as he flings the Land Rover around another crater. Xerophel clenches his jaw. I, I'm sure it will be clear when we get there. Just watch the road. Sure, Curly grins. I love the Middle East. Curly, Xerophel yelps as they thunder through another pothole. Later, Curly. He wasn't sure if the voice was what woke him the jolt as his forehead hit the steering wheel. Either way, his head snapped back, eyes wide with shock, fingers gripping the wheel until it felt like his knuckles would break through the skin. 
losing it, Angel, he snarled, hoping his anger would sustain him. There is a place. I saw it on the way. There, there to the left. Xerophel waved his arm, pointing them down a track, and Crowley spun the wheel and sent the car juddering off the road and toward a series of buildings. I think it's abandoned. A lot of people fled the area when the fighting started again. Xerophel was peering through the cracked screen, trying to pick out any signs of habitation. There better not be anyone there. I've had enough human interaction for one day. Crowley ground his teeth together as the wheels slammed through a series of potholes, sending electric jolts of agony through him. Fuck. 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 He brought the car to a skidding halt in front of the largest of the buildings. Even that was just a one-story hovel. Two rooms, one door, no windows. Cracks and pits in the plaster, a historical tapestry of weapons fire. Xerophel leapt from the car and bustled round to drag Crowley from the driver's seat. Crowley leaned on him gratefully, hissing through his teeth as they stumbled into the building over the shattered remains of the door. Before. Crowley insists on parking the car outside the dismal little township and walking to the center. A quaint and traditional community, he reads from the guidebook as he swings down out of the car, with a small but enchanting market and many historic points of interest. Be sure to stop at one of the family-owned and run cafes or restaurants. Oh, dear. Aziraphale's brow creases as he slides awkwardly from his seat and turns his head, taking in the devastation with blue eyes wide and sad. What had been a small town is now mostly ruins, being swallowed by sand dunes. Here and there, humans scuttle or huddle in small groups, furtive and anxious. Groups of children play in the desultory way amidst the rubble. Most of the storefronts are boarded shut, graffiti scrawled over the rough planks. They used to do the most wonderful pastries, Aziraphale murmurs, waving his hands at a long-abandoned cafe. Why on earth couldn't we have driven into the center of town? We could have avoided all this. No way. Look at this place. Crowley scowls. Probably got IEDs everywhere. Isn't that contraceptive? Aziraphale frowns. Crowley quirks an eyebrow. No, that's an IUD. Although an IED would probably do the job, considering you'd be missing all the necessary... Hang on, how do you know about... Oh, I think there's my man. Xerophel waves at a figure huddled in a group of dissimilarly dressed men who had raised his head at their approach. Crowley winces. Yeah, that'll be him. The holy light that's shining from his, his, him is blinding to the demon's seventh sense the man's righteousness and divine purpose illuminating him with an aura of devotion. Under which side he's fighting for? Well, whichever side he's on, it's obviously he's been blessed. Xerophel beams. Don't see it that often these days. It has been a while, hasn't it? Crowley scowls. Can't say I've missed it. You know what quite takes me back? Xerophel muses. Those were the days you really knew where you stood. Yeah, in a bloody war zone, Curly growls. The man stops before them, grinning widely at the angel, one hand resting casually on the semi-automatic rifle that's slung around his neck. Assalamu alaikum. You must be Sidi Fell. I am Sami. Welcome. His teeth flash white, the Arabic language formal and musical. Wa alaikum assalam. Zerfel dips his head in acknowledgement, the language coming easily to his tongue. Yes, I've been rather looking forward to meeting you. 
The man turns his head and his grin slips slightly as his gaze takes in the angel's companion. Crowley lifts his lip in what might be a smile, but very clearly isn't. He had dispensed with his jacket back in the car, had rolled up his shirt sleeves in deference to the heat, and is now doing his level best to slouch on thin air. And your companion? Sammy turns suspiciously to Aziraphale. The angel smiles nervously and twists his fingers together. Yes, well, this is a... I'm his driver, Crowley draws in Arabic. Don't mind me. Pretend I'm not here. All the same... Sammy's brow creases. I would prefer for us to converse in private, please. He sweeps his arm, indicating a building off the road. My home? It's not much, but my wife will make us coffee. I'm sure it will be fine, Aziraphale smiles. Uh, will you... He switch, turns to the demon and switches back to English. Do you mind? No, no. Crowley flips his hand dismissively, distracted. You go ahead. Is everything all right? Aziraphale eyes him with concern. Yep, just found my lot. Oh, then you'll be off then. Meet me back at the jeep? It's a Land Rover, not a jeep. Curly's brows are drawn together, his jaw set. I'm not going anywhere. They're coming here. What? Aziraphale squeaks. Do you mean to say... There's a thump from the distance, followed swiftly by a crashing boom. At the edge of town, smoke billows, and the humans raise their voices in consternation. Children scatter, men are running, guns in their hands. Yep, must be what I'm here to see, too. Crowley swings his head to give the angel a tight smile. Stands to reason, doesn't it? You've got to snuff your pious warrior. Oh, but you can't, Crowley. Aziraphale wails. We've come all this way. There's another bang, closer this time, and the ground shivers beneath their feet. Wait, what do you mean? The angel and the demon snap their heads round to regard the human. Sammy had addressed them in English. The man's gun is levered at Crowley's chest, and the demon raises his hands, palms out, placating. Hey, come on now, I just got this shirt. Don't fancy putting a bunch of holes in it just yet. Later. The shirt is ruined. I think we have more important things to worry about. Aziraphale's eyes swept the room, searching out anything of use in the small building. Well, well, there's not a stick of furniture. They must have taken everything with them when they... Angel. Crowley's voice was a low growl. Just miracle something. I... But... Aziraphale's brow creased in consternation. How am I supposed to explain it to up there? You'll think of something. Zeraphel sighed deeply and then closed his eyes. Not a bed, too ostentatious, don't want to call too much attention. A pallet, then, straw stuffed, the sort of thing that might have already been here. Water in a pitcher with a cup, clay, simple, nothing fancy, fly under the radar. He helped the demon to the rough mattress and eased him down to sit, and Crowley sucked a gasp through his teeth. Right, uh, I suppose, Aziraphale looked at him anxiously. Have, have you tried healing? Of course I bloody have. It won't bloody work, you know that, Crowley snarled weakly. Water before I lie down? I really think we should... Angel, 
Curly growled. If I lie down, I'm not getting back up anytime soon. Right, right. Xerophel grabbed the cup and sloshed water into it, and Curly held out one trembling, bloodied hand. I rather think you ought to let me, the angel murmured, and for a wonder Curly simply nodded, and Xerophel held the cup to his lips and tried not to watch the way the tanned skin moved over the demon's throat as he swallowed. Okay, okay. Curly flapped his hand weakly, waving the empty cup away, and then gasped as Aziraphil lowered him down onto the rough mattress. Better get to it, Angel. Curly's teeth were clenched tight, his eyes unfocused, and Aziraphil's hands shook when they hovered over the demon's chest. Yes, yes, of course. Aziraphil looked down at the demon's stomach. Curly had both hands clenched tight over his bloodied body, the black shirt soaked and torn. I suppose we'll have to do this the human way, then. Fuck. Angel, I'm gonna pass out. No, 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 please, Crowley, stay with me. The angel squeezed his eyes shut tight. First aid kit. No, wait, a field medic's kit. Crowley, I need to take a look at the... Crowley hissed between gritted teeth and forced his arms to drop to his sides. Xerophel set his jaw and began unbuttoning the demon's shirt with twitching fingers. Soft skin dappled with freckles, a fluffy down of brick-red hair. Oh, for goodness sake, get a grip. He's really, really hurt. Now is not the time. Xerophil peeled the shirt back and it stuck and then stopped. Curly growled. Sorry, sorry. Hang on. The angel grabbed the pitcher of water and sloshed it over the shirt, soaking it loose. He peeled away, ripping the clotted blood from the demon's stomach. Oh, dear. Before. Oh, dear, Aziraphel says weakly. Tell me what's going on, Sidifel. Who is this man? What has he done? Sammy demands, jerking the barrel of the rifle threateningly at Crowley, who is backing away, a crooked smile fixed on his face. Now, please, there's been a, a misunderstanding, Aziraphel stammers, placing himself in front of the aggrieved man. Everything will be just... There's a deafening boom, and the earth rocks, sand and pebbles leaping into clouds of dust as the building across the street explodes in a shower of plaster, mortar, and splinters. The three men are jolted off of their feet. Shrieks of alarm, fear, and pain fill the air. The percussive impact of shrill ringing in their ears. Aziraphale is the first to scramble upright, and he stumbles, choking on dust, to the fallen human. Sammy is stirring, disoriented and confused, blood sheeting down his face from a cut on his forehead as the angel helps him to his feet. What? Sammy mumbles. We have to find cover. Aziraphil thinks that he might be speaking a little too loudly, but he can barely hear his own voice over the high-pitched whistle in his head. Your family? Yes. Sammy's eyes are suddenly full of fear. Please, you must help. Of course, of course, but... Angel... Aziraphale's head snaps round. Curly is on his feet, staggering toward them through the wreckage, one hand over his face, sunglasses lost, shattered and gone. Crowley. He can't help the pathetic note of relief that creeps into his voice. He's still here, still alive. Well, thank fuck for that. Curly pushes his hand up through his hair, attempting casualness. Figured you'd be under a ton of rubble. Sammy breathes. 
and Aziraphale's attention is jerked back to the human, who is regarding Crowley with horror. What? What are you? The man blurts. Crowley stumbles to a halt, eyes wide. Inhuman eyes. Snake eyes, golden and incriminating. Oh, fuck. Aziraphale breathes. Later. Oh, fuck. The angel gasps. Did you just swear? Crowley slurred. His head rolled laxly on the thin mattress as he chuckled dryly. I've never been more attracted to you. Oh, for heaven's sake, be quiet. I have to work out what to do. Xerophil blurted as he turned to the med kit, rummaging through it. I don't know how to use half this stuff. Can you figure something out? Crowley mumbled. Just bandage the thing with the stuff. No, that won't work, Aziraphel wailed. You have to heal the human way, and this body is all, all tubes and wiggly bits, and there's blood everywhere, and... <sighs> he rubbed the heels of his hands into his eyes. I've never had to actually fix a human before, not like this. If I could just... You know the rules as well as I do, Angel. Crowley's voice was low and slurred, no hint of malice. Aziraphale sighed. Yes, yes, I know. No bringing humans back from the dead. No healing of mortal wounds without prior written permission. Just stick the thing on the thing. A bit of antiseptic. What's name? I'll be fine. Curly was not going to be fine. Not by a long shot, Aziraphale realized gloomily. He found the tube of antiseptic cream and smeared it over the wounds before slapping adhesive dressings over the top. He sat back on his heels to survey his handiwork before wondering whether he should have finished undressing Crowley before letting him rest. The thought made his face heat uncomfortably, and before he could think anything more on the subject, he miracled a light blanket and spread it over the demon's prone form. I'm sorry. I just don't know. I'm not sure there's anything else I can do. Not out here in the middle of nowhere. And I'm really supposed to be out there helping, so... So I'll just leave you to rest, and I'll be back soon. You do understand, don't you? Crowley was already unconscious. Before. You don't understand, Xerophel cries, waving his hands frantically. He he has a, a, a condition. Yes, a medical. Yeah, Sammy breathes. He fumbles for his rifle, but it's gone, buried in the rubble. Curly eyes the man warily before giving him his best winning smile. Look, Sammy, it's okay. I'll just walk away. Angel, are you going with him? I rather think I ought to, yes. Sammy turns to Aziraphale. He's confused and hurt and angry, eyes wide under the mask of blood. How dare you? You bring him here to my people to betray us, and you would let him leave? I didn't know, Aziraphale murmurs, and I'm sorry, really I am, but it's it's terribly complicated. Make him forget, Angel, I'm gone. Crowley salutes them idly and turns to begin loping away. He's stopped in his tracks by a wild cry. Shay, did I name you? I cast you out. By the grace of God, I throw you down. Wait, what? Crowley turns to face him as Sammy leaps forward, and Aziraphale is shouting and reaching for the man, but he can't seem to grab him as the holy warrior darts towards the demon. 
and there's a glint of metal in his hand, and then Crowley is doubling over around the knife in his stomach. Knifings are never pretty. You can watch all the self-defense videos and Hollywood movies you like, but it won't help. No one ever goes for you like the slasher in the horror movies, arm held above their head, knife facing downward. Everyone knows that the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. The knife is held low at the hip, facing forwards, and you don't stick them once and stop. No, you punch in and out as many times as you can for maximum damage. Sami is frightened, betrayed, furious, and full of righteousness. One short, sharp movement in and out for each of those, and another to make sure the job is done. It's a combat knife, not fancy, but practical, and it does what it was made to do. It shouldn't have been that bad, Crowley's half worse, but it's a funny thing when the true holy call upon the name of God. Being stabbed in the gut reminded Crowley of the time he had stepped into the road, distracted, and ended up over the bonnet of a Mercedes. The power of God coursing through him was, he thought, a bit like that, except instead of a rather nice car, he was being run over by the QE2. The worst of it, he thinks, as he sinks to his knees, and Aziraphale is wrapping his arms around the other man and dragging him away. The worst of it was that having the power of God poured into him made him aware that she wasn't angry with him. She's disappointed. He topples over onto his side. Well, shit. Should have gone to the Audubon after all. Fuck the Middle East. He tries in a vague sort of way to heal himself, but weapons wielded by the righteous are meant to destroy evil. And he gives up and settles for just lying there and watching his body leaking crimson into the dirt. Someone's shouting his name, but really what he wants is a nap. A nice, long, peaceful. Crowley, Crowley, get up! August 9th, 1983, somewhere in the Middle East. Xerophil is exhausted. It's the bone weariness of 24 hours of constant activity, coupled with stress, fear, and bursts of adrenaline. He may be functionally immortal, but there's only so much this human vessel will tolerate. He waves his thanks to the driver of the Humvee he had hitched a lift with, and starts walking back up the trail to the abandoned house in which he had left Crowley. He tries not to hurry. Panicking will only tire him more. Crowley? He enters the hut wearily, stumbling slightly over the broken door. I'm so sorry I've been gone so long. You would not believe the mess. It's the smell that hits him first and makes the hairs rise on the back of his neck and his breath catch in his throat. It's sweet and cloying, smells like lilies and the miserable tents behind the trenches. It reminds him of streets filled with sounds of weeping and the stalking of bird-masked doctors. It's the smell of putrescence, of death. He launches himself across the room to the pallet where Crowley is curled in a tight ball, his back to the door. The thin blanket is twisted round his legs, the straw-filled mattress dark with sweat. Aziraphale almost can't bring himself to put his hand to the thin shoulder, lest his fingers feel nothing but the cold, clammy flesh of a corpse. Instead, what his hand finds is searing heat and shivering skin. Crowley, the angel's voice is a broken whisper. Oh, Crowley. Angel? Crowley rasps. His ribs suddenly heave in a rapid, dragging gasp. Oh, my dear, I should never have left you alone for so long. Xerophale, 
Crowley twists and his long arm snaps out to latch his fingers into the angel's shirt sleeve. Angel, I I woke up and, and you weren't here. I'm here. I'm here. Oh. Zerophil's fingers tighten on his trembling shoulder. Crowley's head lulls. His yellow eyes are fever bright and unfocused. His hair sticking to his face in lank, sweat-soaked strands. I need to look at you right now. Aziraphale rolls Crowley, not ungently, onto his back. He still groans, his knees drawn up and arms crossed over his belly. Lie down now, there's a good chap. Aziraphale tries to keep the tremble from his voice as he pushes Crowley's legs flat, pulls his arms to his sides. You, you weren't here and I thought you might not come back and I didn't know where you were. Hush, hush now, I'm here. The angel wrenches his gaze from yellow panic-filled eyes to look down at Crowley's wounds. The flesh is taut and red, angry-looking under the now rust-brown and peeling adhesive bandages. Aziraphale shudders and tries to keep his hands steady as he pulls the bandages away. The wounds are putrid, stinking in the heat. The skin is searing hot and wet, the muscles underneath rigid and trembling. The angel drops his head into his hands and tries not to retch. I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, he mumbles into his palm. It's okay, Crowley mumbles. You're here now. I, I don't, I can't. Xerophil hovers his hands over Crowley's stomach. He has a field medics kit that he has no idea how to use, and 6,000 years of experience of just waving his hand, making it better, and he can't. He can't because this is the enemy, and this is most definitely a mortal wound, and it was made by a man beloved by God. But if he doesn't, he'll lose his friend, his only friend, his best friend. And if he's truly honest with himself, someone who over the many centuries has become much more to him, but he'll never admit that, never. Crowley. His voice is soft and low. I'm going to try something, and I'm not sure it's going to work, but I have to try. Okay. Crowley is shivering, his face burning with fever sickness. Xerophil takes a deep breath, closes his eyes, and lays hands on the demon. Fly under the radar. Big miracles will be noticed, the small ones if you can account for them. Those you can slip past their scrutiny. So knuckle down, focus deep. Here a ruptured blood vessel, there a pocket of infection, here a pool of bile, there some stagnant blood. Tiny, infinitesimally small miracles to knit, to purify, to set right. Not too far, not too much, just enough that the body can heal itself. Nudge the cells, convince them to rejoin their fellows, oust the invaders, purge the poison. He has no idea how long it takes. Time loses all meaning when you're focused microscopically, moving so slowly, seeing so deep. When he finally sits back on his heels, there's a throbbing pain behind his eyes. His hands are shaking, covered with blood, both old and new. It takes him a moment to open his eyes, to risk focusing on Crowley's shivering form. The wounds are open, but not deep. The skin is pink, but not flushed with angry red. 
The stink of infection lingers in the air, but there's no sign of it in the flesh. The blood that still oozes sluggishly from the wounds is bright red and healthy. Xerophel sighs deeply. Angel. Crowley's voice is rusted shut, dry and creaking. It's all right. You're going to be all right. Xerophel pronounces this with certainty. Xerophel sluices the blood from his hands, wiping them as clean as he can on the blanket, before stripping off his dusty jacket and waistcoat to allow the sweat to evaporate from his shaking body. There's morphine in the medic's kit and antibiotics. He administers both as best he can with trembling hands. The wounds need stitches, but he's not sure he can bring himself to take a needle and drive it through the quivering living flesh, drag the thread through, tug it taut. He shudders and settles instead for packing and dressing the wounds. Come on now, let's get you up and get some water into you. There's a flicker of interest on Crowley's pale face before his brow collapses in a pained frown. Not sure I can get up. It's all right, I'll let me. Xerophil loops his arms around Crowley's shoulders and pulls. He sits up slowly with a grimace and a hiss. His head lolls, chin almost to his chest, as if the act of sitting up has drained the last of his energy. Aziraphale presses the cup to his lips, and he gulps greedily at the water before allowing his cheek to rest on the angel's shoulder with a shuddering sigh. Well, let's get you lying back down, then, hmm? Not yet. The words are a breath, a plea. Curly is relaxing now as the orphine does its work. He leans on the angel, brings his arm up behind him to grab a fistful of the pale shirt, clinging on for dear life. Xerophel sighs a trembling, treacherous sound and grants himself the luxury of holding and of being held. He's never allowed himself this indulgence before, and he knows that Crowley would never normally tolerate it, would shy away, skittish and snappish. He's weak. They both are, but for different reasons. Xerophel leans his head to brush his cheek across the crown of the demon's head, permits himself the moment, revels in the feeling of soft strands of auburn flame hair on his chin, his cheek slipping past his mouth. He draws the fragrance into his nose, expensive grooming products and sweat and cologne, smoke and a hint of something herbal he's never been able to place. He knows the scent of the demon, has known it for so long, but never before has he buried his nose in it and inhaled, drawn the bouquet deep into his lungs. He wants to open his mouth to it, taste it on his tongue, gulp it down and hold it in his chest. Curly's head tilts, his nose bumps the angel's jaw, and he presses his fever-hot mouth to the pale throat. Aziraphale can't help dragging a gasp of air at the touch, the soft heat of Curly's mouth on his skin sinking deep into him, hot and electric and dangerous. No, he moans, a broken sound. Crowley, Crowley, don't. Angel. Crowley mouths the words into his skin, his breath searing, burning with intent. My dear, please. Not now. Not, not like this. He has to be strong for both their sakes. He turns and jerks his head away. Crowley huffs in annoyance, but allows Aziraphale to lower him back onto the mattress. He curls his lip with a grunt of pain as he stretches his legs out to lie flat. The stream is crap. What do you mean? 
Xerophil quirks an eyebrow as he turns to begin tidying the medical supplies away. Crap. This dream. It's not supposed to go like that. Usually in my dreams, you're all eager and, and what's the word? Pliant. Yeah, pliant. I like that word. Pliant. Xerophil freezes, his hands hovering over bandages and pill packets. Curly thinks he's dreaming. Delirious with fever, addled with painkillers. Perhaps it's easier like this, hearing him say these things, admitting his desires. Curly isn't looking at him. His unfocused, too bright eyes are fixed on the ceiling as he rambles. Those are the best dreams, Angel. The ones where I kiss you until you're giddy, until you can't stand it. Sometimes I dream about, like, I'm in your shop, right? And, and I just pick you up and throw you on your desk and just go for you when you're all soft and warm and, and curly. Stop. Xerophil's voice is a croak, mouth dry. Curly dreams about me. Or, or I get you up to my flat, yeah? And I finally get all your clothes off and drag you into bed and I get to do all that human stuff, grunting and sweating. Curly's gaze is distant, and he waves his hand vaguely. Please stop talking. Curly dreams about me intimately. The best dreams, Angel? The best. I dream about what you'd look like when you come, and what you'd sound like. I figure you'd make the same face you make when you eat first date a mango. I remember that. You said it was the best thing your eyelids went all fluttery and you made this noise. And I reckon you'd make that face and that noise if I touched you right. If I... Crowley, for heaven's sake, stop! Xerophil claps his hands over his burning face and wishes fervently that he could erase his own memory. Crowley dreams about me graphically. This dream is rubbish. It's a petulant whine and it doesn't suit Crowley's voice at all. Why are you being so you? I feel fantastic right now. Did I tell you that? Floaty. But at least it's not one of those other dreams, you know, with the fire and the screaming. Crowley, please stop talking. Xerophil turns to look at him, beseeching with his gaze. That's why I can never tell you. Not ever. Curly brings one hand up, wavering and unsteady, to press a long, thin finger to his lips. Shh, can't tell you, because, right, if I tell you and you like it, then, then you might fall, and I can't, I can't do that to you, not my angel. So I'll never tell you, not ever. I hate that dream. I still remember burning feathers smell like shit. Watching you suffer? Not you, not because of me, not ever, so I'll never tell. Fucking fuck, I love you, though. Stupid, really. His arm drops limply to his side, and his head rolls lax, spilt burgundy hair clinging to his shining face. Xerophil gapes at him, mouth hanging open in astonishment. Oh, Crowley. Shh. Crowley hushes him tossing his head on the pallet in an emphatic gesture. 
There's a moment of silence as Aziraphale turns his burning face away to fuss with the medic's kit, tidying it away to give his hand something to do while his mind whirls. He begins to speak almost without thought, because now there's a gaping, empty silence, and he feels he has to fill it. You, you know, I've dreamed about it, too. I mean, I don't dream because I don't sleep, so I suppose you'd call them daydreams, but well, it's all so, so complicated. Not, not the actual, that is to say, I'm aware of the mechanics, but... He sits back on his heels, pointedly not looking at Crowley. I don't think I'd fall. I'm sure I would have fallen already if I were supposed to, for thinking. But I have a duty, and a sacred one at that. I can't abandon everything for the sake of... of well, whatever this is between us. Do you know, when I went back yesterday, I had hoped that Sammy had died, because if he were still alive... I feared I might kill him myself for what he did to you. What are you doing to me, Crowley, to make me doubt so? His back bows, his hands clench on his knees. That I would even think of forsaking my duty. But you were here, and you were so hurt. And I knew I had to come back, because if, if you were discorporated and I hadn't done anything, I would never forgive myself. You, you really are the dearest thing to me, Crowley, and I, I think really, if I'm being honest, I think I... He turns to look at Crowley, to look him in the eye when he says the words that are hammering in his heart, crowding his throat, battering at the back of his teeth. Crowley is asleep. He's drooling slightly, his face unlined and smooth in absence of pain. He looks almost young. Almost innocent. Well, bugger, Aziraphale whispers. Postscript. So you really don't remember anything. Angel, if you ask me that one more time, I swear I will lick the first page, Crowley, of every Milton first edition of Crowley that you own. So stop asking. Aziraphale slumped back defeated, toying idly with the glass in front of him. They were in the executive lounge at the airport, drinking complimentary champagne, eating complimentary pretzels, and looking forward to finally flying home. Crowley was occupying himself by idly flicking complimentary dry-roasted peanuts into the pockets of anxious businessmen. Aziraphale fidgeted in his seat, uncomfortable and far too aware of everything. Anyway, the demon drawled, leaning back in his chair. Whatever happened to your man, what's his name? Sammy. Xerophil's cheeks colored as a smile tugged at the corners of his mouth. Yes, well. Well, what? Crowley's head tilted, the hint of yellow-gold eyes over the top of the designer shades. Well, he was killed in the attack that your side... Ha! Crowley thumped the table in triumph, peanuts scattering. Score one for me. Okay, I nearly died, but it was worth it, so shove it, you smug, halo-wearing git. Hang on. Why do you look so smug? Perhaps you should see for yourself. Xerophil produced the local newspaper with the quirk of his eyebrow, and Crowley snatched it from his hands and scanned the front page rapidly. Local freedom fighter, tragic, blah blah blah, brother vowed to fight on, martyred... Wait, martyred? 
He threw the paper onto the table between them and buried his head in his hands with a groan. Aziraphale patted his arm sympathetically. There, there. Perhaps you'll get the next one. Bollocks to it. Bollocks to you. Bollocks. Come along now. I think I hear them calling our flight. After. It was all too easy for Aziraphale to fall back into his customary role. All too easy to pretend that it hadn't happened. That he had never borne witness to feelings given voice that would spell their doom. Because that's what it would mean, he was sure, if they were to admit to this. Curly was terrified that Aziraphale would fall. That much was clear. And although the angel didn't share the same fear, the thought of hell's retribution upon a demon who would dare to collude with an angel, it didn't bear thinking about. So he didn't. He didn't think about every lingering glance, every loaded phrase. Although he would be lying if he said that he didn't imagine Crowley's smooth, dark voice in his ear, murmuring, Angel, Angel, I love you. Fuck, I want to see your face when you come. When he leaned back into the plush cushions of his sofa and gripped himself, hips bucking and the mind lost to fantasy. He wondered sometimes in the darkest part of the night whether Crowley was doing the same. And then Crowley phoned him out of the blue, and suddenly there was the really very real prospect that they might lose it all. All of it. Clandestine dinners, nights spent drinking and debating, casual walks in the park. All of it to be swept away. Aziraphale lost count of the number of times he opened his mouth, only to bite back the words before they could leap forth and destroy them both. To be given this knowledge, to be given the love of a demon, who would have ever dreamed such a thing? And to be able to, unable to act, unable to reciprocate, almost unbearable. His heart broke a little more each day as he watched Curly tenderly care for the small child who may become their doom. His heart broke again and again and again the closer they came to annihilation. Because who was he to go against the will of God, the ineffable plan? It was in his very soul to throw over the rule of heaven and gallivant off to the stars with a demon? unthinkable. And so he broke his heart and Crowley's again and again and again. And then, and then there was a chance, an outstretched hand. You can stay at my place. And for once in 6,000 years, perhaps the timing was right. Perhaps now they could untangle this mess and work out what all of this meant for both of them. Instead, terror bled into their every word, their every move. Heaven and hell would be coming for them, and they had to work out how to evade their punishments. Perhaps afterwards, Xerophel reasoned, they could sort everything else. Post-apocalyptic. Dinner at the Ritz was everything they had hoped it would be, until it wasn't. I am so glad we got to share this, Xerophel says, getting on champagne in relief. The dining room is full of life, murmured conversations, the gentle clink of cutlery, the occasional muted laugh. The sounds of the world turning, just as it always has. Yeah, could have been different. I mean, Curly shrugs one lean shoulder, gathers his courage. We might not have made it. Oh, my dear. Aziraphale reaches across the table, places his palm flat on the white cotton, I think we were always destined to end up here. Well, 
I had hoped. Curly's face wrinkles, as if tasting something bitter, unpalatable. The thought of them not being here, now like this, unpalatable, unimaginable. Well, almost. It was a while there when I thought, well, you know. I can't say that I do. The hand retreats as Aziraphale sits back, emotions flickering across his face. Uncertainty, amusement, confusion, hope. I thought that... Angel, I thought you were dead. Oh. Crowley's face is set, eyes obscured under tinted glass, jaw thrust forward. That's it? That's all you've got to say? Oh? Well, I mean, I'm dreadfully sorry that you had to go through that. It must have been simply awful. It was the worst, Angel. You have no... Curly swallows hard and swigs champagne, half-choked on effervescence and anxiety, in the memory of utter terror and wrenching grief. Your bookshop, fire everywhere, and you just... gone. And I thought... I really thought... Just like your dream... Oh, my dear. Aziraphale's face softens. What? The demon's champagne flute is halfway to his parted lips, his mouth slack. The the dream. You told me that... Aziraphale's face pales and then flushes with heat. I, I, I mean, I, I should imagine that was terribly distressing to, to find. That's not what you said, Angel. Crowley has gone cold. Frozen sharp. His voice is clipped and harsh, jaw working as he sets his glass down too hard, a sharp flack that cracks like a gunshot in the quiet dining room. A dream. My dream. How do you know about my dreams? Xerophel laughs, and he means for it to be light and airy and carefree, but instead it's too shrill, too forced. Well, you probably said something while you were drunk. I forgot about it the next morning. Wine does that to a body. I'm sure I've said many a thing that I would never. N not that. Angel. Xerophel, tell me the truth right now. There's a vicious light in the shaded eyes, a suspicion of bared teeth, a hint of a snarl, and Aziraphale cowers slightly before it. Well, you recall that... Uh, around the 1980s, we both went to the Middle East. I've still got the scars. Crowley's voice grates. Get to the point. Yes, uh, well, you were really terribly sick and feverish, and I had to give you medicine, and I'm sure you weren't quite aware of what was going on. And Angel. A single word, a growled warning. Xerophil cringes nervously, bow-tie bobbing over his pale throat as he drinks vintage Krug as if it's water. Well, you said afterwards you didn't remember, and I didn't want to bring it up, because you said you would never have told me. I mean, if you were in your right mind, so I simply assumed it would be better if I didn't mention it. Tell me what I said. Crowley's voice is low and lethal, the words clipped and forced between gritted teeth. Well, you said, and you were delirious mind, quite out of it. You said that you had dreamed about us, and in a 
carnal sense and that you feared it may lead to me falling, you know, and that you... What? The word is flat and hard, a thrown stone of a word, and it glances off the angel's ribcage and makes his heart stutter. You said that you loved me, and I tried to tell you, of course, that I loved you as well, but I... The silence that follows lasts a thousand years, and no time at all. It's the time between heartbeats, between breaths, the time it takes for a particle of light to travel from here to here. It's all of time and no time at all. It's a silence of broken promises and lies. Curly breaks it, breaks the moment and his glass and nearly everything on the table with one wide, explosive, sweeping swing of his arm. The angel cries out in horror at the sheer aggressiveness of the act. The demon has never lost control like this before with him, and it's terrifying. Xerophil almost doesn't hear the noises of shock and surprise from the humans around them, lost as he is in the violence of the action. Crowley is shoving himself up from the table, his chair toppling to the floor. Crowley, Crowley, please. Fuck this. Fuck you. The demon throws the words back over his shoulder as he stalks away. The angel throws himself out of his seat and darts after him, calling his name as the patrons gape and exclaim, and the staff scurry around them. And Crowley's almost out the door when Aziraphale catches his sleeve. Crowley, please! The demon snarls and jerks his arm from the angel's grip, hurling himself out into the street and toward the waiting Bentley. Please, I'm so sorry. You have no idea. All this time! Crowley stops, his hand on the door handle, glaring back. You knew, you bloody knew, and you never said a word. The end of the world, Angel, and the end of everything, and you... Well, I rather think that we had more important things. What would it have taken, Angel, huh? What were you waiting for? Well, the right time, I suppose, but... And you didn't think that the right time might have been, oh, sometime before the apocalypse? Crowley is livid, shaking with anger, face flushed and contorted, ugly with rage and bitterness. Aziraphale's hands clench into fists at his sides. Do you imagine it's been any easier for me, that I've been sitting back smugly with this knowledge, hoarding it? I was terrified. Do you have any idea what hell would have done to you if they knew, or what heaven would have done to me? I couldn't, Crowley. I couldn't do it. Is that supposed to make me feel better? Curly's hand falls away from the car door and he stalks toward the angel, teeth bared. Oh, I'm so sorry. Am I meant to apologize to you because I burdened you with this? Well, excuse me if I don't grovel at your feet, angel, because you were too worried about pleasing your boss to let me know that I wasn't alone, that someone gave a shit about me because you didn't make it fucking clear enough. I have made it abundantly clear that I care about you on multiple occasions. Aziraphale's eyes are bright and hard as ice, high points of color sitting in his cheeks like bruises. You turned me down. You pushed me away again and again. Curly's crowding him, invading his space, teeth grinding, lips pulled back. You lied to me, hid from me as if it were in my power to pause the end of the world and say, by the way, dear, I rather think I love you. Let's nip off for a spot of tea. 
There's a muscle twitching in Aziraphale's jaw. His nails are digging into his palms. Don't you dare suggest that I didn't care for you enough, that I didn't do what I could to show you I loved you in whatever way I could. But you never said it. Curly's voice drops to a lethal hiss. Not once. Not even we went to each other's deaths when I had to send you to hell and I didn't know if I'd see you again. And all I could think was, I wish he loved me as much as I love him. And you knew. You fucking knew. And you didn't say it, you coward. How dare you accuse me of cowardice? Aziraphale's chest heaves, his voice harsh. I didn't say it. That much is true. But I walked into hell for you. And I would do it again, you stupid man, if I thought it would prove anything to you. Well, then you do that, Angel, Curly sneers. He snaps his head round and his body follows. Go to hell. He's at the car, unlatching the door, folding his lean form behind the wheel. Aziraphale watches, standing in the road, as fat raindrops begin falling from the sky, and the Bentley pulls away and roars down the street. And so here we are. Here is an angel, a real one principality no less the guardian of the eastern gate of the garden of eden has been living amongst the humans since the very beginning he is a soldier a protector a rebel a traitor he doesn't look like any of these things too soft around the edges all curves and curls he likes good food and expensive wine and old books he's fussy and frumpy and old-fashioned but look underneath. Find the burning soul within the comfortingly gentle exterior. Uncover the iron-hard will, the steely determination, the granite hardness of certainty. He's currently slumped in an ancient, overstuffed armchair, cradling a cold cup of cocoa and staring at an open book resting on his knees that he has been failing to read for the last hour. His eyes are clouded and troubled, and there's a line of worry between his brows. His lips pursed in a move, confused annoyance. His annoyance is due, in part, to the fact that he is indeed an angel. If he were Steve from Hull or Vion from Scunthorpe, then things would, he thought, be a lot more simple. But he's not. He is Aziraphale, Principality, guardian of the Eastern Gate of Eden, or at least he used to be. There is no Eden, not anymore, and he was never much cop at the whole guardian part of the job anyway. And since the end of the world hadn't actually ended with the end of the world, and he has escaped the fate of total annihilation, he doesn't have much actual angeling to do anymore. It's not a bad thing as far as he's concerned. He has more time now for reading and popping out to little restaurants and ferreting through antique shops but he had rather hoped that he would have also had a little more time with his friend, best friend, co-conspirator, enemy, soulmate. Well, he had managed to cock that up quite spectacularly. Here is a demon, a real one, a favorite denizen of the underworld. The Serpent of Eden has been living amongst humans since the very beginning. He is a tempter, a beguiler, a rebel, a traitor. 
Unlike the aforementioned angel, this demon absolutely resembles all of these traits. His twisting hips speak of earthly delights, his face inscrutable behind dark glasses all the better for lying through. He likes loud music, fast cars, and alcohol. He's sleek and sinuous and cutting edge. But peel back the layers, peer through the sharpness, the cool, aloof exterior, and find a demon who's always been a little tender, just a mite too caring, a whisper of softness. He's currently sprawled over an extremely ostentatious throne-like chair, cradling a tumbler of incredibly expensive whiskey, and staring unseeing at whatever is on the enormous television that's bolted to the wall in his gray, minimalist flat. He's scowling, mouth drawn tight and down in anger and frustration. His frustration is due in part to the fact that he is indeed a demon. If he were Janet from Bournemouth or Kevin from Romford, then things would, he thought, be a lot more simple. But he's not. He's Crowley, demon, the creator of original sin, serpent of Eden. Or at least he used to be. There is no Eden, not anymore, and since the end of the world hadn't actually ended with the end of the world, and he has escaped the fate of total annihilation, doesn't have much actual demoning to do. It's not a bad thing as far as he's concerned. He has more time now for drinking and driving his car at dangerous speeds through central London, expanding his music collection. But he had rather hoped he would also have a little more time with his friend, best friend, co-conspirator, enemy, soulmate. Well, he had managed to fuck that up quite spectacularly. Two days. Two days of unremitting rain, incessant thunder, and crushing loneliness. Two days of guilt and bitter self-recrimination. Two days of what if, and I wish I'd, and why didn't I, and I shouldn't have. Two days should feel like a drop in the ocean when you've been on Earth for 6,000 years. Two days feels like forever. Aziraphale has yet another mug of cocoa rapidly going cold in his hands when the sound of someone knocking on the door rouses him from a self-accusatory stupor. We are closed, he calls firmly. The shop has been closed for the last two days and will remain closed as far as he's concerned until he's worked out just what he's going to do to rectify this awful situation, this corner he's painted himself into. The knock sounds again and the angel swings his head irritably to look at the door where the sign he was sure he had flipped 48 hours ago has spun around. He grimaces and flicks his hand, spinning the sign so that the outside world knows that his shop is very definitely and most emphatically closed, and turns his attention, such as it is, back to the book in front of him on the desk. The knock comes again. Shave and a haircut. Such a cliché. Aziraphale looks at the door, where the sign is now proclaiming to the universe at large that the shop, despite the fact that it is 7.43 in the evening, is indeed open. He glares at the sign and waves his hand to flip it around. It immediately flips back. Crowley, the angel breathes, already half out of his seat. 
The knock comes again, tap, 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 but it seems hesitant, and the angel is determined not to allow the being on the other side of that door another moment to doubt whether or not he is welcome, and uses a swift jerk of his hand and a burst of angelic power to unlock the door. Two bits, he shouts, as if it isn't the stupidest thing that's ever left his mouth. And he's up and out of the chair and moving to the door, and Coco is tumbling to the floor and soaking into the rug as the handle moves and the door opens. Angel? I'm here. The rain hammers down unrelenting. The demon is standing in the doorway, drenched. He had thought about flowers, chocolates, jewelry, wine... No gift seemed enough. Nothing sufficiently encompassed the depth of feeling that he wished to express. And so here he stands, empty-handed and rain-soaked, in the doorway of the bookshop. He knew that the angel would never press him, would allow him his space, and he thanked him for it. If Aziraphale had called, pestered, nagged or niggled, then he would have backed away, shying from the touch, the word, the thought. And so he had to be the one to reach out, to try and bridge the gap, to say, I am still here, and I still need you. I'm sorry. The word, the thought, the intent, so simultaneously that neither could be sure who spoke out loud first. Not that it mattered, of course. They're not trying to one-up each other in some bizarre scrabble for supremacy of supplication. It's Aziraphale who blinks first. Oh, for goodness sake, come inside. You're positively drenched. He doesn't reach out and grab Crowley's arm to pull him into the shop. He merely moves to one side, creating space, leaving an escape if necessary. Crowley ducks his head as he enters, rain running from his hair as he slips through the doorway and into the shop, eyes darting furtive glances behind darkened glass. Look at you, my dear. You're soaked to the skin. Did you walk here? There's nothing but gentle concern in Aziraphale's voice, softness in his eyes. Curly shrugs. Nah, drove. Just took a while to knock. Oh, Crowley. The fondness in Aziraphale's voice is palpable, and Crowley fights to stop his lip from curling. Centuries of habit are going to be hard to break. He wants it, he does, that fondness, the kindness even if it goes against millennia of conditioning. Been a bit of a knob, he mumbles. For his part, Aziraphale doesn't take the bait. It would be so easy to say, a bit, and for this to devolve into another evening of sniping at each other in mock sallies. Time to break the habit of several thousand lifetimes. I think perhaps so have I. The demon drips rainwater onto the polished wood floor, face averted. The angel stares intently at the puddle slowly forming before shaking himself from his nervous musings. Well, how about you dry off and I'll get us something to drink? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Aziraphale flashes him a swift, tight smile like the sun peeking out between clouds before turning and bustling away to the back of the shop. Curly watches his retreating back for a moment before shivering like a horse shaking off a fly. He snaps his arm up, and the rain boils away from his clothes in a brief cloud of superheated steam. He drags his hands through his hair, vapor curling between his fingers as he lopes forward, following in the angel's wake. 
Xerophil is opening a bottle of wine, and as Crowley slumps onto the sofa, there's a satisfying thuck as the cork leaves the neck of the bottle. The angel hums appreciatively as he pours the deep ruby liquid into two glasses and hands one off to the demon, who makes a soft noise of thanks. Xerophil takes his seat across from the slouching demon and twirls the wines thoughtfully. Well, he says. Yep. Xerophil pouts slightly and sips. Curly frowns. The quiet that descends is no longer the easy silence of companionship, but the heavy, pressing hush that precedes a storm. Right. Curly smacks one hand to his knee decisively, with a sound like a whip crack, and sets his glass down on the side table. It clatters slightly, his hand shaking. Fine, I'll go first. He draws a breath, sits up. I'm sorry, okay? I've bollocked it all up, and I'm sorry. I should have told you ages ago about, well, everything. But I didn't, and then I overreacted. I'm sorry I ruined the dinner. I'm sorry I stormed off, and I'm sorry I expected you to do the hard work. So, there it is. He slumps back into the cushions and snatches up his glass, draining it at a single gulp. Aziraphal opens his mouth, then closes it again with a snap before passing the bottle. Curly takes it gratefully and refills his glass with trembling hands. Sorry, he mumbles. Demon. Not used to the whole... He waves the bottle vaguely. Feelings thing. It's quite all right, Aziraphal murmurs. Perfectly understandable. He takes the bottle back and tops up his own glass. I'm sorry, too, you know. Dreadfully so. I've spent so long avoiding this, these feelings, and, well, the consequences. But I do love you most terribly, and I... I apologize for not telling you sooner. It's just... I've been so dreadfully frightened. Yeah, me too. And if it's too much, if you want to go back to where we were, that's okay, really. Oh, my dear boy, as if we could. Xerophil's face softens. <sighs> I'm afraid the cat's rather out of the bag. Can't we, Curly squirms, put the cat back in the bag? Have you ever tried to make a cat do anything it doesn't want to do? Xerophil quirks his eyebrow. Yes, nasty, scratchy, bitey. Curly grimaces and gulps wine. I see your point. Precisely. I'm sorry, Crowley. You're just going to have to let me make love to you. Crowley narrowly avoids inhaling his Pinot Noir. Whoop! He splutters, face as crimson as the wine. Angel, you can't just say stuff like that. Why not? If it's what I intend to do, after all. Xerophil wiggles happily in his seat. I'm rather looking forward to it, in fact. I, well... I mean, yes, me too. Crowley's shoulders begin to relax from their position somewhere around his ears. I mean, I... Bless, Angel, I've thought about it. Didn't know if you'd be... He flips his hand at the angel. Interested in that sort of thing? Oh, my dear. Of course I am. Just think. Xerophel beams. We can go to the pictures, and I can bring you flowers, and write you poetry. 
I think courting will be marvelous fun. Courting? Well, yes. I mean, I suppose one is supposed to court for a while before declaring one's love, but we have been rather dancing around the issue for some time. Yes, I'm very much looking forward to making love to you. Aziraphale, Crowley's face twitches, his eyes unreadable behind the sunglasses. That phrase doesn't mean what you think it means. Oh? Oh. The angel is suddenly uncertain. Have I done something wrong? No, no, just... Crowley slumps back. Don't worry about it. Oh, but my dear boy, you must tell me. He sits forward, wide-eyed face earnest under the mop of dandelion duck hair. Have I offended you? It's fine, angel. It's... Well, words change meaning, and... Uh... He swigs his wine carelessly to hide his embarrassment. Making love implies, well, sex. Oh! Yeah, sorry. Not that I, I want, I mean, I do want to do the movies and stuff. Goodness, how gauche of me. Zerafel puts his hand to his lips. Well, silly me for blurting something like that out. Of course I want to have sex with you, although I wasn't really intending to announce the fact over drinks. Look, it's fun. Wait, what? Sex with you and, well, me, and unless you don't know. Crowley sits up. I mean, yes, I do with you. The sex thing, yes. Splendid. Aziraphale beams. He sets his glass down firmly and crosses the space between them with swift, determined strides before dropping onto the sofa next to the startled demon who makes a strangled noise in the back of his throat. Is everything all right? The angel asks, curling one hand around Crowley's knee and using the other to pluck the wine glass from the startled demon's hand and set it aside. Ugh. Xerophil studies the demon's face for a moment, high points of color on the sharp cheekbones, trembling lips. Can I take off your glasses? You really do have such beautiful eyes. Yeah. When Aziraphale does so, the eyes underneath the tinted lenses are wide and shocked, almost panicked, the brows arched high in astonishment. He frowns as he drops his sunglasses onto the end table. Are you quite sure you're all right? Do... Crowley's eyes dart nervously as his tongue flicks out to wet his lips. Did you want to do it now? Here? Well, the angel is taken aback, wrong-footed. He had half expected the demon to be all over him already, all wry smiles and sultry looks. Not necessarily. I was thinking more along the lines of a, a kiss. That's how these things normally start, isn't it? Oh, yes, yes, okay, yes. Curly doesn't move. His eyes are flicking rapidly over Aziraphale's face, taking it in, never settling too long in one place. The angel smiles, runs his knuckles over the other's jaw before cupping his cheek in his palm. Okay, Crowley breathes, eyes fluttering shut as he leans into the touch. Aziraphale closes the gap between them and presses their lips together. He's always surprised by Crowley. 
Whenever he thinks he's got him all worked out, the demon does something totally unexpected. How is it, the angel wonders, that someone so sharp and cool, so aloof, could become so soft and yielding at the mere brush of his mouth? Crowley melts. It's as if he's forgotten his human body and is trying once more to become a serpent. Xerophel makes an appreciative noise in his throat as he draws back, and when Crowley opens his eyes, they're full of wonder and desperate hunger. Angel, he sighs and brings one trembling, long-fingered hand up to run in the wild, white blonde curls. My dear, Xerophel answers, his voice husky. Before Crowley can answer, the angel is on his mouth again, nudging with his lips, asking without words. Curly's arms prickle with goosebumps as his mouth opens, and he tilts his head, and he's kissing me. Christ on a bike, he's actually kissing me. Shit, 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 shit. Xerophel leans into his body, one hand curling around the back of Crowley's neck, the other resting on a leg, which, he realizes, is shivering under his hand, the heel drumming a rapid tattoo on the floor. Crowley's hands are everywhere, fluttering like butterflies, eager to touch and explore as their mouths move together, hot and hungry. Aziraphale sighs through his nose in wordless appreciation as he slips his tongue into the mix experimentally, and Crowley whines into his mouth. Well, Aziraphale murmurs as he draws back, good to know I haven't lost my touch. He flashes the demon a coy look from under lowered lashes. Touch? Lost? What? Crowley looks dazed, his cheeks flushed with heat, the whites of his eyes gone, replaced with yellow gold. Well, it's been a while. I was a little worried I'd be out of practice. Xerophel leans into mouth at the demon's neck, and Crowley makes a keening sound. What was their name? The demon croaks. Who? Xerophel is doing his best to suck a love bite into Crowley's throat, and it's making his head spin. But jealousy is something he's known for centuries, and it runs particularly close to the surface when it comes to one particular angel. What was their name? The one you did this with before? Which one? Xerophel's nimble hands are busying themselves with the buttons on Crowley's waistcoat, when he's astonished to find his wrists gripped in clawing vice-like fingers. Crowley! He yelps, astonished. He lurches back, shocked at the intensity of the gaze that's being laid upon him, the demon's eyes scorching. You've done this before, Crowley hisses. When? How many times? Aziraphale huffs a weak laugh. Well, quite, quite a few, I suppose. Six thousand years is an awfully long... How many? Crowley looks almost feral, and the angel fights not to cringe. You can't expect me to keep a tally. I'm sure you've lost count of the number of kisses. Just the one, Angel. Aziraphale is struck dumb. Surely not. In all these years? How can he have not? My, my dear, you must be choking. You're, I mean, you tempt people. That's your job. Yes, tempt, Angel. If they get what they wanted, it wouldn't be a temptation. But you're a demon. As soon as the words leave his mouth, he regrets them. Oh, oh, of course. Crowley's mouth twists, baring his teeth in a hideous parody of a sneer. I'm a demon, yes, so that means I've been whoring myself, slutting my way through the centuries. 
I never said that. Aziraphale jerks his wrist from Crowley's grips. Don't put words in my mouth. What else have you had in your mouth, hmm? Crowley's voice is a low, dangerous hiss. Here I was, worrying myself to shreds about causing you to fall to lust, and you were busy shagging your way around London. How dare you! I've done nothing of the sort. Aziraphale draws himself up, face flushed with righteous indignation. If I lay with anyone, it was out of love. It has only ever been an act of kindness and healing and redemption. So what am I to you? Just another pity fuck? Crowley's chest is heaving with his ragged breaths. Gonna try and bonk the evil right out of me, are you? Crowley. The angel's mouth falls open in shock. The way I feel about you is so, so completely different. So you didn't love them, these numerous, nameless others? The demon bears his teeth. Of course I did. The difference is I'm in love with you. Oh, well, good. Great. Glad you can make that distinction. The demon spits the word as he hauls himself up, all his sinuous grace gone, shed like a dead skin in the heat of his anger. Crowley! Xerophil is on his feet, too, as Crowley moves away. Please, please don't go. I need you to understand. Crowley spins on his heels halfway to the door flinging his arms wide in desperation. Understand what, Angel? And this time the familiar nickname has the sting of mockery. I want you to understand what you mean to me. It's it's not just physical. It goes beyond love. I, Crowley, please, show me. Crowley's arms fall to his sides, but his face is tight, drawn with tension, his mouth a hard line. Show me. All right. Aziraphale is standing, alone and bereft in the middle of his shop, and Crowley is struck suddenly by how small he seems. The pale head bows, the eyes close, and his soft, clever fingers rise to his breast. Crowley, the angel murmurs. He pushes his fingers against his chest, and his fingers twitch as if they're undoing a waistcoat. But what he's opening is nothing that exists in this dimension. He grips and pulls, and what is revealed is blinding white-gold light, and the angel unfolds. Crowley refuses to look away, even as his eyes begin to water and the light threatens to blind him. What Aziraphale is becoming is all of himself, everything at once, and the demon will do everything he can to witness it. The wings unfurl like petals, rising in a graceful arc and then again, and again, and again, overlapping and intersecting each other and themselves in pearlescent, shimmering curves and swoops that defy logic and physics. There's a sound, not so much heard as felt, a low bass thrumming that makes the demon's chest hurt and his ears ring. Crowley gasps. He can feel it now as the light washes over him, and he sinks to his knees unworthy. Love. It's love, so pure and blinding and burning, and it cleanses and purifies even as his darkened soul shrieks for escape. It means him no harm, he knows, because he can feel the intent, the direction. All this adoration, all this desire and affection and care, all for him, 6,000 years of it, 
and he bends his spine and presses his forehead to the floor, unworthy. Crowley. It's not a human voice. There are no vocal cords involved. It's inside his soul, and he lifts his head and opens his eyes to let the tears flow freely down his face as he bears witness. And the angel opens his eyes, and opens his eyes, and opens his eyes, and opens his eyes. Crowley, oh my dear, are you all right? The demon returns to awareness reluctantly. There are points of pressure on his body, but it takes him a while to work out how those are relevant, how they relate to him and his corporeal being. He's kneeling on the floor, and Aziraphale has his hand behind his head, holding him up and gazing down into his eyes with consternation. You love me, Crowley croaks. Yes. There's the ghost of a laugh in the word. I've been trying to tell you. I love you. I really do. Crowley works his dry mouth for a moment. My turn. Oh, my dear, there's no need. I want to. I need to. It's suddenly very important to him that the angel understand, that he knows just what he's letting himself in for. It's not pretty. You're beautiful, Aziraphale murmurs. Nothing could convince me otherwise. Crowley shoves himself up with a grimace. He's aching already, skin itching as if he knows what he's contemplating, revealing himself, and can't wait to shuck off this miserable human shell. He frowns. You might want to step back. Aziraphale dutifully moves away, but not so far that he couldn't reach out and touch. Curly finds that painfully comforting. Aziraphale, he breathes. He puts his hand to his chest and pushes. His hands go first, and then his arms, disappearing into the darkness that yawns, suddenly hungry. He opens his mouth and groans as he curls inward towards himself. Aziraphale finds himself lurching forward, unbidden, drawn to the dark heart that opens before him. One of his arms raises involuntarily, and he snatches it back to his side. The demon's wings unfurl and curl like viciously spiked cogs, rolling in and in and in, an endless wheel of knife-like feathered darkness, pulling and absorbing. The angel stumbles, almost unable to resist the gravitational pull of this black hole of sin, this boiling emptiness. He's compelled to try to fill it, to allow it to draw him in until he's jolted to awareness by a multitude of glimmering points of light. Crowley. He breathes in, allowing himself to be drawn close. It's only here in the heart of the darkness that he can feel the want, the engulfing, crushing need and lust and covetousness, and all for him. The hushing, rushing sound of the feathers blend with the deep, thrumming roar of the sucking emptiness and a sound like waves retreating endlessly from a pebble beach. Aziraphale. The voice twines sinuously through his body, making his nerves dance and sing, waking his flesh into shivering tenderness. I see you. He breathes, reaches out both hands, eager, grasping, needy toward the glittering myriad galaxies that are laid before him in the vacuum of the demon's roiling soul. He feels the draw of it, the pull, dragging him inwards and folding him in tumultuous heat and deep velvet darkness, and the heady sense of being wanted, 
of being craved, of being desired. It's overwhelming, suffocating, but he doesn't feel afraid. He feels cherished. He looks into the void and sees stars. Hey, Angel. Xerophel, you okay? Stars. I saw stars. Crowley, oh my love. Don't worry about that now. How are you feeling? Xerophel smiles beatifically. Divine. He's vaguely aware that Crowley is on his knees with him, has gathered him close, and is rocking him as if he's trying to soothe an anxious child. The angel's hands come up to grip the back of the demon's jacket and hold on for dear life. The sheer strength of feeling in him. Aziraphale swallows dryly. Drink? Crowley asks. No. Aziraphale tilts his head back until he can look the demon in the eyes. You. He feels the lean body shiver against his own as Crowley bends to press their mouths together. And it's all and everything he needs to let his love unite with the dragging undertow of lust that the demon is pouring out. He reaches up to grab a handful of russet hair and pull their faces closer, crashing their mouths in a desperate attempt to diffuse their fractured beings into one. Crowley, Xerophel gasps in between frantic, scorching kisses. Perhaps we should take this elsewhere. Right now, right here, the demon growls and sets his teeth to worrying the angel's soft neck. Xerophel's fingers tighten in his hair. Absolutely not, he breathes. If I had known, there would be, there would have been rose petals on the bed for you, my love, and oh, candlelight. He gasps because Crowley's fingernails are digging into the back of his neck, and they're suddenly sharp and it's exhilarating, and he admits to himself a little frightening. Call me that again. Crowley breathes into his skin, lips peppering the pale throat with kisses and sucking bites. My, my, my love. The angel twists his head to catch Crowley's earlob between his teeth, and the demon is crowding him suddenly, dragging their bodies together with a throaty growl. Angel, angel. Crowley's tongue is hot where it traces the tendon in his throat, the demon's hand dragging at his clothes, and Aziraphale is almost overcome. My dear, no, not, not yet, not here, he rasps, voice heavy with desire. Crowley groans, forces their bodies apart with trembling arms, chest heaving. His topaz eyes are burning, wide and hungry. Okay, he chokes. Give me a minute. Xerophil takes a moment to bask in the heat of the demon's desire and feels himself blessed. He's waited so long, and he's willing to wait longer. My love, I don't want you to have to wait another moment. The angel puts both hands to Crowley's chest and pushes him back to lie on the threadbare rug, and then his hands are at the elaborate belt, tugging it open, working on the fly of the jeans. Angel! It's a broken, breathy sound of amazement and confusion, and Aziraphale looks up at the demon's long, lean body to meet his eyes. Let me, please. It's not a question, because he knows the answer. Crowley bobs his head in a nod and props himself on his elbows, and the angel kisses the jut of his hip bones, drags his tongue along the crease between his leg and his pelvis as he eases the trousers down to reveal the thatch of chestnut hair, 
and then the thick length waiting for his eager mouth. He lavishes it with kisses that leave the demon groaning and panting before drawing it into the wet heat of his mouth to explore the textures of it with his nimble tongue, mapping the ridges of veins, the gentle shift of soft skin over aching hardness. Curly's shaking arms give out, and he slumps back, arching his spine with a wordless cry of wonder as his nails scrabble at the wooden floor. You... you said... he pants at the ceiling. Said, not now. Xerophil looks up and frees his mouth. I intend for our first time together to be as lovely as possible, however... His eyes flick down, and he drags his tongue across the swollen head of the demon's cock, making him shudder and groan. I would also like you to be relaxed. I see no reason why we can't both have what we want. I... I... I want... Curly stutters to a halt as the angel wraps his lips around him again, and it's nothing like he imagined it would be, alone in his bed with his cock in his fist. This is wave after wave of pure, unadulterated delight and he puts one hand to his mouth to bite down on his knuckles, and the other on the angel's head. Aziraphale luxuriates in the sensation of Curly falling to pieces, shuddering and gasping as his serpentine hips twist and his fingers tangle in the angel's platinum curls. Aziraphale hums approval, and the demon shouts his name. Curly bucks his hips once, twice, three times, and then the angel's mouth is filled with the bitter salt of his lover's ecstasy. There's an epiphany to be had in being the deliverer of such exquisite delight, and Aziraphale glories in it, lets it shine in his heart. He is the one who has done this. He is the one who has provided euphoria for the one he loves so well. He draws it into himself, drinks of his lover's delight, and no meal has ever seemed so satisfying, so fulfilling. Fuck! Curly's breath shudders in his chest and his body jerks with electric aftershocks as the angel kisses the taste of his lust from his sex. Sorry. Sorry, shit. What on earth are you apologizing for, dear? Xerophil sits back on his heels, and Crowley raises his head to look at him. The angel's hair is tousled, his cheeks flushed and lips red, blue eyes bright as diamonds. Crowley swallows hard. I, I can last longer, I swear, I'm just... Aziraphale laughs. It's not a mocking sound, just a bursting bubble of joy. Oh, my love, it doesn't matter to me. I'm quite proud, in fact. Let's consider it a compliment to my technique, shall we? Curly's face cracks into a smile. Okay, yeah. He lets his head fall back onto the floor. I'd give you a round of applause, but I'm not sure where my hands are. I think they might be gone still at the ends of your arms where you left them. As if to prove it, the angel takes them up into his own hands and brings them to his mouth to press kisses to the knuckles. Curly breathes a laugh. Good, I've got plans for those hands. He sits up abruptly. Ah, uh, did you want me to um, return the favor? Oh, I'm in no rush, dear. All being equal, I'd like to be somewhere a little more comfortable. This floor is playing merry hell with my knees. I'd like to return the favor. Curly is gazing at him with unabashed desire, and Aziraphale feels a warm wave of anticipation wash over him. Well then, 
Xerophel quirks an eyebrow. Upstairs? There's an upstairs. Curly blinks in astonishment. The angel chuckles. I own the flat above the shop. Surely you didn't think I lived in the shop. Guess I never really thought about it. Well, mostly I use it for storage. Of course you do. Crowley rolls his eyes and Aziraphale tuts. Oh, for goodness sake, Crowley. Yes, storage, but I have some rooms for, well, whenever I need them. You've never mentioned it before. The demon's tone is faintly accusatory as he removes his hand from the angel's grip to tuck himself back into his jeans. Aziraphale's cheeks color and he looks aside. Yes, well, I didn't think it was advisable to invite you in the flat before. I was worried about, well, where that might lead. Fair enough. Curly flows to his feet and stretches luxuriously before offering his hand to the angel. Looks to me like it's leading exactly where you thought. Oh, I do hope so. Aziraphale's voice is almost a purr as he allows the demon to pull him to his feet. He spares a moment to enjoy the feel of Crowley's hand in his before turning and leading him to the back of the shop, where a door opens onto a narrow staircase. Crowley quirks an eyebrow. You know, I always assumed this was just a cupboard. Well, now you know. After you. Xerophil gestures and Crowley grins insolently. You just want to look at my arse. Guilty as charged. Up you go. Aziraphale reinforces the point by taking a firm handful of said buttocks as the demon brushes past him and is rewarded with a growl. Cheeky. Crowley looks over his own shoulder back at Aziraphale, his yellow eyes glowing. The angel bestows upon him his most innocent smile, and the demon grins in return before turning away to sashay up the stairs, hips swinging invitingly. Aziraphale bites his lip. This is what he had hoped for. Relieved of tension, reassured of his acceptance, the demon has regained his swagger, his cockiness. This is the Crowley he's been dreaming about for so long, and he follows eagerly in his wake. Crowley pauses at the top of the stairs, head turning to examine the landing. Second on the right, dear, Aziraphale murmurs as he joins him, running his fingers up the redhead's spine. Curly shivers and turns, and his yellow eyes are clouded with worry. Are you sure? I know where my bedroom is, yes. No, no, I mean... Curly sucks in a breath. Are you sure about this? Curly. Aziraphale reaches out and takes hold of his hands. I am so very sure. Aziraphale brushes past him, keeping his grip on Curly's thin fingers to pull him toward the bedroom. Once inside, Aziraphale toes off his brogues and shrugs his jacket off onto a chair before shuffling up onto the bed, settling himself against the wooden headboard. Crowley gazes round the room, in between darting glances at the angel. It's not a large room, but it's cozy. In decor, it much resembles the shop, with shelves lining the walls, books and knickknacks covering every available surface. An antique brass lamp lights the room with a warm glow and dimly Crowley can hear the rain pattering on the window. He's faintly surprised he can hear anything over the pounding of his heart. Taking up the majority of the space is a large wooden bed. It's oak, Crowley thinks, with the tartan rug thrown over the duvet and mounds of pillows upon which Aziraphale is currently reclining. 
The angel sets his pocket watch on the side table and looks at him with one eyebrow raised. Crowley swallows. It's nice, he pronounces. Very you. Well, thank you, Xerophel murmurs, patting the duvet next to him invitingly. Crowley clears his throat and sits on the edge of the bed to yank his boots off and toss them on the floor, before slithering up to sit next to the angel. Uh, so, Crowley darts a glance at Aziraphale and then looks away. What, what do you want to do now? Well, my dear, normally such things start with getting undressed. Mm. Crowley rakes his eyes over the reclining angel's body. Yes, very yes. Well, would you care to do the honors? Aziraphale wriggles back into the pillows happily and Crowley regards him with thinly-veiled astonishment. "'Who are you, and what have you done with my angel?' Crowley breathes. Xerophel chuckles indulgently. "'Oh, your angel, am I?' He quirks an eyebrow, and Crowley flashes him a feral grin, and lunges toward him, nimble fingers deftly tugging his bow tie loose from its knot. "'Mine,' Crowley growls. "'My angel, my Xerophel, yes.' Yes, Aziraphale breathes, as Crowley's hands skitter down his chest to start unbuttoning his waistcoat. I am yours, all yours, my dear, my darling. And I'm yours, so, so yours. Fuck. Crowley pauses a moment to push his hands under the undone waistcoat, smoothing over his clothed chest. You know, I always thought undressing you would be like unwrapping a present, but there's so many bloody layers. He hooks a finger under one of Aziraphale's braces and tugs it experimentally. Bet you're wearing an undershirt, too, you bastard. Just enough of a bastard to be worth knowing. Aziraphale smiles. Crowley grins back. Damn right. Bloody hell. He begins tackling the shirt buttons. Less like a present, more like a pass the parcel. Is there a prize under every layer? Why don't you find out? Xerophel purrs. Crowley looks up at him and holds his gaze for a moment before slowly pushing the velvet waistcoat from his shoulders. In response, Xerophel reaches out to twine his hand around Crowley's neck and pulls him into a heated kiss, all tongue and teeth. The demon whines in the back of his throat, and Xerophel pushes him back, his cheeks pink and eyes bright, before shucking his precious antique waistcoat onto the floor. Carry on, the angel murmurs. Crowley swallows hard and whips the undone bow tie from under his collar before looking at him expectantly. Doesn't qualify as a layer, I'm afraid, Xerophel says mildly. Fucking tease, Crowley whispers, and there's guarded admiration in his voice. He presses his palms into Xerophel's pectorals and slips the braces over his shoulders, one eyebrow quirking questioningly. Still not a layer, dear. Xerophel breathes. Crowley groans and attacks his shirt buttons with renewed enthusiasm. There is indeed an undershirt, and Crowley snarls with frustration as he peels the shirt away from Xerophel's chest, only for it to snag at his wrists. Cufflinks, Xerophel reminds him. Crowley growls again and swings one long leg over the angel's hips to straddle him, whilst his clever fingers fiddle with the delicate jewelry. 
Aziraphale can't help but press himself up, grinding himself into Crowley with a groan as the shirt finally joins his waistcoat on the floor. Prize, Crowley growls and lowers himself down to capture the angel's mouth, worrying his lower lip with his front teeth. You, Aziraphale gasps when Crowley releases him. I, I want to. He reaches forward to tug at the silver scarf, but Crowley bats his hand away. No, want to see you all. Crowley slides his hand beneath Aziraphale's undershirt, gliding along the smooth skin. Fuck, all of you want to see you. Aziraphale raises his arms obligingly, allowing Crowley to tug the undershirt off over his head. The demon's eyes are wide, almost glowing, as he trails fingers reverently over the angel's milk-white skin. He spends a moment just toying with the soft fluff of downy pale hair on his chest before Aziraphale squirms pointedly underneath him. Now who's being a tease? Aziraphale husks, his voice gone rough and low with desire. Curly shivers to hear it, his body thrilling at the undisguised lust in the angel's words. Patience is a virtue, angel, he replies with a smirk, and is rewarded with a sharp smack to his thigh. Yes, well, one of us has already had an orgasm, Aziraphale grumbles, turning the slap into a caress, his hands pressing and kneading Crowley's jean-clad legs where they bracket his hips. Hmm, which reminds me, I was going to return the favor. Curly rolls his hips wickedly just to watch Aziraphale's eyes unfocus, before sliding down to press hot kisses over the angel's chest, flicking his tongue over a pink nipple and then blowing on it to watch it tighten. He slides his hand down over the pale stomach to the waistband of Aziraphale's trousers and begins the torturous task of undoing the button fly. Fuck's sake. He mumbles into Aziraphale's stomach between kisses. You might as well be wearing a chastity belt. Do you... Should I... Aziraphale is writhing under him, his chest flushed pink. Curly presses another kiss into his love's soft skin. No, I want to, he growls, sitting up to get a better angle of attack. Finally, the buttons give, and he kneels up to drag the offending garment down Aziraphale's legs. Long johns, he all but howls. Aziraphale gasps a laugh. Trousers are a layer, love. Curly glares at him for a moment before slipping off the bed to tear the trousers over Aziraphale's feet. You get a prize for layer... Oh, oh. Aziraphale attempts to remind him, but Curly has discovered his feet, and with absolutely no ceremony at all, has whipped his sock off and sucked his big toe into his mouth. Dear God! Curly pulls the angel's toe from his mouth with a loud pop. No more little prizes, Curly snarls. Want the real present. Yes, yes, please. Aziraphale is reduced to panting gasps, as Curly crawls back onto the bed and mouths at his arousal through his underwear, before burying his nose into the angel's crotch and inhaling obscenely. Fuck, so good. Curly grips the waistband of the long johns, and Aziraphale cants his hip hips up helplessly. You know how snakes smell things? Curly's voice has gone sibilant as his control slips, and he slides the fabric over Aziraphale's hips. With their tongues. 
and it tastes so fucking he pauses and then looks up to fix the angel with his lament gaze. You're wearing briefs under long johns. There's a hint of panic in Crowley's golden eyes, and Aziraphale giggles helplessly. Sorry. Yes, I, well, it's the way you're supposed to. Angel. Crowley sits back on his heels. There's a twitch pulling a tiny muscle under his eyes. Please tell me you're not wearing anything under the briefs. I most solemnly swear I am not wearing anything under my underwear. Thank fuck for that. Curly grinds the words out through gritted teeth before taking hold of Aziraphale's briefs and tearing them in half savagely, ripping them away from the angel's body. Good lord, Crowley, Aziraphale yelps. Any further protestations are lost as Crowley bends over and runs his tongue up his cock, and his mind goes blissfully blank. Aziraphale buries his fingers in Crowley's hair as he arches up into the caressing touch with a groan. And Crowley takes that as an invitation and draws the head of his cock into his mouth. Oh, Aziraphale breathes. Crowley looks up at him and arches an eyebrow questioningly. Oh, yes, Crowley, dear lord. Aziraphale lets his head fall back onto the pillows as Crowley slides his mouth down, engulfing him in the hot wetness of his mouth. Yes, yes, just like that. Curly hums in pleased agreement as Aziraphale's fingers tighten in his hair, and he begins moving his head languidly up and down, eyes half-closed in lazy enjoyment. Aziraphale looks down at him and wonders how it's possible for him to look so smug with an angel's cock in his mouth. Then Curly opens his mouth to give Aziraphale a front-row seat as he slides his forked tongue up both sides of his shaft simultaneously, before diving back down and wrapping his lips around the hot length. Oh, fuck, that's... Oh, your tongue. Aziraphale's mouth falls open at the sight. Surely this is blasphemy, because never has he felt so worshipped. There's a hot, tight feeling low in his stomach, sending waves of pleasure rolling through him as sweat prickles his brow. Curly is growling in the back of his throat, and it's lighting him up with sensation. I'm... Oh, darling, I'm close... Aziraphale breathes, his hands clenching in Crowley's hair, and the demon moans around his cock before taking the full length and swallowing around it. Aziraphale arches his back helplessly and comes with a breathy gasp, a surge of euphoria crashing over him like a tidal wave. He closes his eyes helplessly and grips Crowley's hair for dear life as the last shocks judder through him and the ecstasy ebbs away to be replaced with a feeling of profound satisfaction. Oh, my dear, my darling, he whispers, untangling his fingers from his lover's russet hair and lifting his head to gaze down at him. Curly looks slightly stunned as he looks up at the angel, yellow eyes wide and hair in disarray. Is that okay, then? Oh, more than okay, my love. Positively glorious. Aziraphale reaches out to cup Curly's cheek in his hand. I hope I didn't pull your hair too hard. I got a little carried away. Curly shrugs, the crimson blush suffusing his cheeks, giving lie to his nonchalance. It's all right, he mumbles. Quite liked it. Oh, Xerophil quirks an eyebrow. I shall make a note of it.
Curly frowns and opens his mouth to argue, but all that comes out is a groan as a Viziraphel rakes his fingers through his unruly red hair. Now, my dear, Aziraphale all but purrs, I find you overdressed for the occasion. Curly sits back on his heels with a crooked grin. Yeah, yeah, all right. He tugs his scarf off over his head and casually flings it to the floor, closely followed by his silver chain. He looks down at Aziraphale and tugs his belt through the loops of his jeans and tosses it aside, only to wince at the thump of the heavy buckle hitting the floor. Sorry, sorry, fuck, he mumbles, looking down to fumble with the buttons of his waistcoat. Curly, dear, what on earth are you apologizing for? Curly raises his gaze again to rake his eyes over the angel's body spread before him on the sheets. He swallows. I'm... Look, it's just... I don't want you to be disappointed, is all. What? Aziraphale's brows draw together. Why would you think I would be? Well, I'm, I'm not. Curly gives up on the buttons with a sigh, dropping his hands to rest them on his thighs. I'm not much to look at. That might possibly be the silliest thing I've ever heard you say. Yeah, no, but I'm not nice to look at, like you. You're all sunshine and... And strawberries and cream, and I'm... I look like a haunted hat stand. I'm all twiggy and spindly. I'm going to stop you right there, my dear. Aziraphale shoves himself a little more upright against the mound of pillows to reach his hand out to grip Crowley's. There is nothing, absolutely nothing about you that would disappoint me. I don't care if you're covered in fur or have, I don't know, a map of Swindon tattooed on your buttocks. You are Crowley, and I love you dearly. Of course, if you wish to keep your clothes on, then that's fine, and I will be just as content and just as in love with you. But don't for a moment think that you have to hide from me. Yeah. Curly sniffs, tosses his head, raises his shoulder. Of course, I know that. It's just a body after all, isn't it? Just skin and stuff. My love... And I mean this most sincerely, Aziraphale murmurs. The most important thing about your body to me is that you're in it. Curly makes an undignified sound in the back of his throat, his expression caught somewhere between delight and mortification. Shut up, he groans, tilting his head back to stare fixedly at the ceiling in the hope that it might disguise the mistiness in his eyes. Okay. Okay, fine. He takes a deep breath and slips off the side of the bed. With a swift movement, he grabs his shirt and waistcoat and drags them off over his head before he can talk himself out of it. He strips off his jeans and slides the socks from his feet before straightening up to look over to Xerophale. Well, that's... I mean, this is, well, me. Uh, Curly wishes he was still wearing his sunglasses. Somehow he feels even more naked without them, and he can feel the heat of a blush blooming embarrassingly across his chest. He cocks his hip in an attempt at casualness, but his yellow eyes shift around the room before his gaze settles on the angel, who has risen up to his elbows and is regarding him with a look of abject horror. Oh. 
Xerophel moans, and one hand flutters up to his trembling mouth, his blue eyes wide with shock. Oh, Crowley. Yeah, we're done here. Curly stoops to snatch up his jeans and is stopped by a pair of firm hands grasping him by the shoulders. He can't look at the angel, can't bear to see the look on his face, so he looks down and away. Go ahead, gop away, he snarls, but it's a penny to look at the freak. No, no, no. Oh, my dear, my darling. Xerophil is all but whimpering. I've done this to you. This is my fault. The fuck are you bleeding on about now, Crowley sneers. Didn't try hard enough to fatten me up? Xerophil is making little broken sounds, breathy cries of pain, and Crowley finally snaps his attention back to him. Xerophil is standing in front of him, staring wide-eyed at Crowley's stomach, where five pits of scar tissue pucker the tan skin. Oh, Crowley mumbles. Those. It's my fault, Xerophil wails, his bright eyes brimming with tears. I, I didn't, I should have. Okay, okay, just breathe. Crowley puts his hand to Xerophil's shoulders and pushes him down to sit at the edge of the bed seating himself alongside. What do you mean it's your fault? Why, the, the whole reason you were so anxious about those, those, oh, Crowley, your scars. How can you even bear to sit next to me? How can you even look at me? Xerophil buries his face in his hands with a shudder. Hey, that's, that's not it at all, Crowley murmurs, smoothing his hand along the angel's arm. The scars don't bother me, not a bit. You're just being kind. Xerophil's voice is muffled in his fingers and thick with tears. To think that you had those all this time, and it's all because I was too much of a coward to... All right, that's enough, Curly says decisively, and he gently pulls Xerophil's hands from his tear-stained face. You're going to stop beating yourself up about this right now. Hey, look at me. Aziraphil obeys, raising his liquid blue gaze to meet Crowley's golden eyes. There you are. Crowley's face has gone unbearably soft, a look of such tenderness suffusing his angular features that it's almost enough to make Aziraphil weep again. He swallows hard and focuses on the feeling of Crowley's thumbs smoothing over the backs of his hands. You didn't heal me, but it wasn't because you were a coward. You did everything you could, and... And I guess that's why I'm not ashamed of them. They've never bothered me. Curly's face twists into an embarrassed grimace. I'm going to tell you something, and you have to promise me you're not going to go all gooey and doe-eyed at me, okay? Xerophel nods and gives him a shaky smile. Curly takes a breath and averts his gaze. When I told you I didn't remember anything about it, that's not entirely the truth. What I do remember is you looking after me. You came back, and you didn't have to, but you did, and you did everything you could to bring me through. I remember you being gentle and kind, and so I don't hate the scars, because it reminds me that you helped me. This last he blurts out in such a jumbled rush that it takes Aziraphale a moment to parse. But when he does, he can't help the tremble in his voice. Oh, Crowley, stop it, stop it. I told you you weren't allowed to do that. Crowley's face is crimson with embarrassment, his shoulders hunched, and Aziraphale is powerless to stop the smile that creeps over his face. 
so you're not self-conscious because of them. What, of scars? Curly's eyebrows shoot up. Shut up. Scars are cool. I'm bloody self-conscious because I've got less meat on me than a chicken McNugget and the body condition of a whippet with a chronic speed habit. Well, now it's my turn to comfort you. Xerophil raises his hand, linked with Crowley's, and presses a kiss to the demon's knuckles. You are beautiful, my dear, and I won't hear another word about it. But not another word, you gorgeous thing. Fine, Crowley huffs. Fine. You want to have it off with someone that looks like the love child of Iggy Pop and a toast rack? Well, here I am. What's an Iggy Pop? Don't worry about it. There's a long beat of silence before Crowley clears his throat. I hate to bring this up, but right now we're both sitting on the edge of the bed, naked. And? Xerophel cocks his head. And it's a bit weird, isn't it? You and me just sitting around, no clothes on. Would you prefer to be in the bed? Crowley looks askance at the angel. Would you? I think it sounds nice. We could get under the covers and cuddle. Nope. Crowley sticks his chin out as Aziraphale slips onto the bed and wiggles under the duvet. Demons definitely don't cuddle. All right. Snuggle, then. Aziraphale pats the side of the bed next to him and Crowley huffs a sigh and slides under the covers. Snuggle is worse, he grumbles, nevertheless throwing a gangly arm over the angel's chest. Well, what do you call it, then? Um... Curly plasters his lean body down Aziraphale's side and buries his face in his shoulder. I don't know. Uh, corporeal contact. Slow motion wrestling. Proximity with intent. You are ridiculous, and I adore you. Aziraphale slips his arm around the demon's shoulders and runs his finger down Curly's spine. Still, I think I might have made a bit of a pig's ear of tonight. It's all right, Curly mumbles. I still got a blowjob and a cuddle. I thought we weren't cuddling. Whatever. Shut up. And it's fine. Don't worry about it. Just glad we worked it out. Yes. Took us long enough, I suppose. Especially with all the fuck-ups. Curly raises his head, eyes lambent. I'm sorry, you know, for being a dick. I forgive you if you'll forgive me the same. Done. Crowley rolls onto his back to stare up at the ceiling. You know, none of this worked out the way I thought it would. Declarations of love, kissing, getting naked. I reckon between the two of us we've managed to get every bit wrong. I suppose the course of true love never did run smooth, Aziraphale murmurs, and Crowley snorts derisively. Yeah, about as smooth as a thing that's not very smooth. Uh, cat's tongue? Sandpaper? Brick? Aziraphale muses. Oh, a border terrier. Curly wrinkles his nose. Are those the ones that look like an old man with a beard? No, border terriers look like something you find stuck to a carpet after a party. Ah. Curly turns his head, his gaze flickering over Aziraphale's familiar face. So... What do you want to do now? Well, 
I don't mind. I quite like the not cuddling. Could we maybe try the kissing thing again? Curly wiggles a little closer. And maybe see thing, how things go? Post-orgasmic. Fuck. Fucking. Wow. Yes, quite. I mean, really, bloody. Really. I absolutely agree. I didn't even know I could bend like that, and I'm part snake. Well, I do rather think that might have given you a bit of an advantage over me. And then you did that thing. Wow. I didn't even realize I was still wearing one sock until my knees were around my ears. Well, I was doing my best to distract you, Angel. Oh, I was certainly distracted. Quite preoccupied. Crowley, with some effort, raises his head from the pillow to look blearily up at the angel, who is currently nestled in a mound of cushions, reading. Hey, Aziraphale? Yes, dear? I bloody love you. You know that? Well, you did scream it into my ear several times, so yes. I mean it. I really do. You're so, so good and patient and, and soft, and you... I love you too, dear. Now do try and rest. You need your sleep. Yeah, but... Curly mumbles, flinging one arm around Aziraphale's waist and nuzzling into his side. I really want you to know that I mean it, and you're so fucking special and clever, and I don't want you to think that I don't appreciate you, or... Of course I know you appreciate me, and I you. Aziraphale reaches down with his free hand to comb his fingers through Crowley's hair. But right now you're babbling, so just rest. I know, I know. Crowley's voice is trailing away, his body melting against the angel. I just need you to know I don't blame you for anything, and I don't want you to feel guilty or sad about any of it, because I don't regret a thing, not one. My dear, it is lovely to hear you say that. But Crowley? Hmm? Go to sleep. The end. Thank you so much for listening. You can leave comments here or at uh, Archive of Our Own Works slash 22542367.